You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Jennifer Ashley Tepper, and you're listening to the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast. Today, my guest is Eric William Morris, who's one of my very best friends and favorite actors. He's a Broadway actor who you might have seen in shows like King Kong, Corum Boy, Mamma Mia. But today, we're going to be talking about some very special history he has with the Broadway house, Circle in the Square, where he had a very unique job that I'm excited for you to hear more about. This is Jennifer Ashley Tepper with the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast, and I'm so excited about my guest today because he's one of my very best friends in the world, Mr. Eric William Morris. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're so happy to be sitting here together right now. Just true, like true. It's just nice. Um, <laughs> so today, we're going to be talking about Circle in the Square Theater, and what's interesting about that that you'll learn is, you know, Eric is a Broadway actor who's been in several Broadway shows at different theaters recently, King Kong, right around the corner from where we're recording at the Broadway. Eric hasn't actually played Circle in the Square, but you'll see he has a, a fun and storied history with it. Um, and before we get into that, um, Circle in the Square, for those who don't know, was built in 1972. Um, one of the most interesting things about it to me is that really most of our Broadway theaters we've had since the early part of the 20th century. Um, and Circle in the Square is relatively new. So Circle in the Square happened because when uh, buildings were going up in Times Square rapidly in the 60s and 70s, the city issued um, a rule that if you built a you know skyscraper of a certain level, you would get like special financial treatment if you built a theater in it. So that's how we got Circle in the Square and the Gershwin, which was then called the Urus, and the Minskoff. It was because um, these buildings wanted the special tax treatment they would get from theaters. Um, worked out really well for us on Broadway. So yeah, yeah isn't that cool? I did not know that. Fun fact. I, thought, um, wow. I think we're both going to learn things today. <laughs> That's why we're here, right here. So um, Circle in the Square, you know, the theater company started downtown called mm -hmm. Circle in the Square, um, and it very much helped pioneer the off-Broadway movement. Um, yeah. It was started, uh, it was off-Broadway, it was meant to, um, you know, celebrate classic theater and classic plays and mm -hmm. do them in the round and rep, and then when the city put up this building that Circle in the Square was in, they actually invited the theater company to, like, come to Broadway and, and move uh -huh. in. Um, so that's a little bit of the Circle in the Square theater history, um, and before we get any more of that, I just have to know, tell us about your history with Circle in the Square, Mr. Yes. Eric William Morris. Absolutely, Miss Jennifer Ashley Tepper. <laughs> so I went to, uh, also another cool fun fact about Circle in the Square, it's the only Broadway theater that has a school mm -hmm. uh, attached to it. So I went to Circle in the Square Theater School, uh, which was 
started off actually uh, in conjunction with NYU. You could go there and study, like um, like NYU now has Stella Adler's a part of it, and Playwrights Horizons is a school within NYU. Uh, Circle in the Square used to be one of those, so you could get your BFA and do a four-year program at Circle in the Square, or you could, they had their own thing going on at the same time, which is uh, called the Professional Acting Program, which was just a two-year intensive conservatory training without any academic uh, at all. I mean, you know, some of it's academic, but without any accredited um, university attachments. It was just a place for actors to train. Uh, and so by the time I was looking to continue studying acting, because I went to Loyola College in Baltimore, I got a BA in theater, and then I was like, I'm going to move to New York, I'm going to be an actor, I need more training. So I looked into places, and it seemed like the perfect fit for me. So I, I went to the two-year professional uh, actor training program, so that was uh, from 2004 to 2006. Um, and then after that, I kind of just like stuck around and became a part of, uh, like a part of the people who work there. I, when I was going to school there, 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee was playing there, uh, which I was such a huge fan of just getting to watch it as a student. Uh, and then they were looking for people who, uh, the position of a porter at a theater, essentially I cleaned up after the show. Uh, so I got to do that. And then I stuck around there for that, uh, for a few years. And then I went back and did that again with the Norman Conquests. Uh, and I have been sort of like poking in and out of there for a long time. I, st I just went back and talked to the students actually two weeks ago. Uh, their, their summer, they have a summer program as well, so I talked to the musical theater students uh, about my experience. So I've just been a part of them for a long time. Yeah. I love that. We're yeah. going to get into that more, but one yeah. thing um, I also thought was interesting, there's actually been a history of Circle in the Square students that have played the theater. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman was a Circle in the Square student and he made his Broadway debut in True West yeah. at Circle. What a Broadway debut. Yeah. That's the coolest thing. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. So um, one thing I always found interesting, I worked on Godspell at the theater in 2011, 2012, and it's so crazy to walk in during the day and there's like students warming up and oh, like, yeah. you know, dancing. And then a couple hours later, it's a Broadway theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they, they've changed the architecture of it a little bit where the, the 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 school offices used to be in the lobby of the <laughs> theater they've since been like you know what let's put the school underneath there's a basement level where all the classrooms are so they switched it around so the students are mostly down there but when i was going there uh there's a little locker area where people can put their coats when they're going to see a show or their bags and that was where we just like hang out <laughs> so on early mat on early days and and in matinees on wednesdays and stuff we would just kind of be like oh god we gotta all move so they can do a broadway <laughs> show here uh, yeah, and that one, one thing like you taught me that I thought was so interesting was, and uh, apparently, and I don't know if this is still the case, yeah. when uh, shows at Circle in the Square used the deck to like move a set piece up and down, the Shakespeare class would be interrupted because room one ten, <laughs> room one ten, so there's a problem when somebody puts a trap in the bottom of the <laughs> stage. It's like crazy. People yeah. don't think of Broadway as like interacting with, and of course, Circle is really unique because it's a school. But even you know, at the St. James, yeah. the offices, you know, or the Schubert has the offices. So certain Broadway theaters have that dynamic, like a especially yeah. Wednesday matinees. Yeah, and so room 110 and room 103 are directly underneath the stage. So when something is happening and you're underneath it, like I used to remember going down there and during the, uh, the number pandemonium in Spelling Bee, everybody was jumping up and down on the stage and there was a rope swing that came out and so you'd be in class or I'd be down there by myself trying to learn lines for something while I was working and you'd just hear like, <laughs> 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 like what is, oh right, pandemonium, it's got it. 
That's amazing. Yeah, it's a fun thing to be a part of. Let's dig more into the space for people who like, you Mm -hmm. know, don't know it as well. Um, It has those vomitoriums, which is like what you call, you know, the spaces where you walk into the stage. Um, So Circle in the Square can be um, in the round or it can be like a thrust. It's probably the only Broadway theater that's really You could do whatever you want with it, which is really cool. Pretty unique. Like how, um, and also near the lockers that you were talking about, you can kind of go um, hit a door and then you're like backstage in the school or backstage period. Yes, or like in... in, uh, when when Ted Mann, who who founded it, was still there, that was his office. You'd be like, oh, I'm, I just walked into the president's right, office right yeah. by the bathroom. Yes, yeah, don't right. do it. If you go see a show, though, be respectful. <laughs> yeah, don't. Um, are there other things about like the theater space itself that people wouldn't know unless they know it as well as you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a bunch of really cool things about it. Um, something that just popped in my head when you talked about the vomitoriums. Um, when they did. Um, uh, Rocky Horror show there. Uh, Dick Cavett was the original narrator for that. And so there's an area right above the vomitorium where you can stand and there's no seats. And that was where they positioned him. So it's referred to by everybody in the school as a Dick Cavett box. (laughs) So like when somebody's like, I'll put them up there. Because another cool thing about the space uh, is that the space, the people like the administrators and the people who own the theater get along in a really wonderful way where they let the students use the stage to put on their student productions at the end of the year. So, you know, you can, during Spelling Bee, it was it was thrust. It wasn't full in the square. That's what they did with Spelling Bee. And there was a cutout on the stage that looked like um, that looked like a school gymnasium, right? But they didn't want us scuffing up the thing, so we cut out carpet that fit the stage perfectly <laughs> and rolled it out and did Waiting for Lefty and The Mousetrap <laughs> and Saturday Night, Sondheim Saturday Night on that stage. You know, we had two shows Monday and one Tuesday morning, and then it was like, get everything off the stage because they need to do a show on Tuesday night. Um, yeah, and then the entire, another thing that people wouldn't know sitting there uh, is that, yeah, there is a full school two floors below where they're sitting that are, there's about seven or eight classrooms mm-hmm. uh, and a full administrative office that's underneath there. Uh, yeah. And is it, you'd probably know this actually because you know a lot about the Gershwin Theater as well. It, it, the Gershwin, is it underneath that parking garage? No, it's right next to it. And one of okay. the things I always find really interesting about Circle, I spent years being like, there has to be a way to get to the Gershwin. And I asked everyone, and you yeah. know, it, when Steven Schwartz is like, there's no way yeah, yeah. while you're working on Godspell to get from Godspell to Wicked, I'm like, like, I believe you, got Steven. It, got it. Um, so, but you can get to um, the, I don't know what it's called now. It's like the cafe on the corner of 51st and Broadway yeah, that was yeah. a cozy for a very long time. Oh, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. Something else. Um, I'm obsessed with that space because I never went to Mars 2112, but it's uh-huh. like, that was kind of where Mars 2112 was. Yes. But for many years, um, that was where Luchow's was. Luchow's was like one of the most famous, um, you know, theater restaurants of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For like a century, it was uh, in Union Square, and like back when the Broadway theaters were in Union Square, and then it moved to right there, and they had like Broadway opening nights there. And you actually can get to that restaurant if you go out a door in the Circle in the Square lobby. Yeah. Um, it was also something called the Pub Theatrical for years, but um, yeah, this was something that I got to like research in my book. I love all the like, you know, obviously the restaurants and the stuff that's yeah, connected. That's but you can't get to the Gershwin. No. Oh, yeah, 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 and and yeah. I think those two theaters are like very isolated, even though they're right next to each other. Yeah, um, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Um, so getting a little bit more into Spelling Bee, like, what was that like working there during that time? It was it was such an education for me because I was in I was in my second year, and so my job was so as a porter. Right, there was two separate porter positions on that on that show where one person who was kind of like the lead person uh, would work with a house manager and they would take care of everything backstage and make sure everything was going okay. And then the job that I started doing was the infrared hearing aid devices. Uh, for people who need assisted hearing devices, um, 
it, part of my job was to uh, hand them out to people and like, you know, make sure that they gave them back at the end of the show. So that's what I did before the show. And then during the show, I was free to do whatever I wanted. And then after the show, I went in and I cleaned up the theater uh, with a garbage bag and rubber gloves. And it took a couple of hours every day, but... Um, because of Jose Lana's Because song. of Jose Lana's, <laughs> yeah. because of my unfortunate direction, he would <laughs> walk around the theater throwing candy at everybody. And it was hilarious. And look... It was incredible, but then I'd be like, okay, so there's Skittles over there today, and I gotta go, <laughs> right, the gummy bears are over there. Um, but but I ended up, the special thing about it was I ended up seeing the show probably over 70 times because I I wanted to see it, and then what I realized, what I realized, what's like pretty well known about the show is that they developed it, uh, the actors, the, the, most of the original cast members developed it sort of like as an improv um, exercise, and then they started developing it, and then they brought you know, Bill Finn along to write the music afterwards. So a lot of these people have been working with these characters for years and they were so, so in tune with each other and good at it. And, and they, a part of the show is they would invite audience members up on stage to be a part of the spelling bee, like five audience members. So I got to see in the lobby when they pick the audience members, the audience members would go in and then the actors would file in through the lobby and they'd each get pieces of paper about the person, the pe people in the audience and like, uh, and how to like kind of riff off of who they were and what they looked like. So I got to see a new show every night, which was really cool. Spelling yeah. Bee was so special. I was yeah. so it's it was the longest running show ever at Circle. Is um, it still? Yeah, wow. yeah. It ran for quite well, a long time. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, because Circle started with the theater company whose focus was on plays. Um, only I think thirteen musicals have ever played Circle, and um, at the time of Spelling Bee, it was obviously even less. So I think Spelling Bee really showed people like you know how to do a yeah. musical in the space. Um, the first musical to ever play there was Where's Charlie starring Raul Julia and I yes. love Raul Julia so that's a fun fact um, but Spelling Bee was definitely the first show I saw there and mm. like I mean I didn't see it 70 times because I didn't work there <laughs> but I saw it quite a few and it was like everyone in that show was so special yeah. that show was so great so wonderful and when one of them left to do something like Jesse Tyler Ferguson got a sitcom and left and his last performance like you saw him go through it like <laughs> this is the last time I'm doing this yeah. he gets his little juice box at the end and he walks off stage and you saw them all like really support each other. It was a very cool thing to watch. Yeah, yeah. such a tight knit cast. I got to interview the, a couple of them for my book. My one sad thing about Spelling Bee is I was always convinced that I was going to be Marigold Coney Bear because you know how oh, like you he picks someone to like sing to, and I'm like I have red hair, and I was always in those front row student rush seats, and I was like I never got to be. <laughs> you Marigold never got. Coney you Bear. never got. To, how many times did you see it? I think I saw it like six or seven. Yeah, probably. It's I one of those shows it. that you absolutely get more from every time. Totally. Yeah. And the secret weapon of that, I mean, and this was a cool thing that Sarah Salzberg told me about was, you know, uh, Wendy Wasserstein, Sarah Salzberg was her nanny and Wendy was best friends with Bill Finn and like kind of brought That's them together. That's how that, Isn't wow. that crazy? That is so cool. Yeah. Secret weapon. Yeah. Nanny dumb. So how, um, yeah. how, what happened next? Like, so you're the porter at Circle. Yes. Um, <laughs> tell me about what So happened. I'm the porter at Circle for a number of months uh, and I, my shifts were Tuesday, Thursday, and then all day Sunday because they had two shows. And I used to have to come in the morning and clean uh, the bathrooms and the lobby and vacuum everything. And that was like a three-hour job. So my Sundays were like, get in at 11, work for three hours. The theater opens, clean it after the matinee, uh, do, and then do it again for the second show and clean it. <clears throat> pardon me. And then clean it after the second show. Uh, so that was my, my gig for G. Over a year, yeah. And then I ended up um, getting my first Broadway show, uh, which was called Quorum Boy. Uh, and so I got cast in that, and I was so excited about it. 
but it happened so fast because I, I, I got cast to understudy three different roles. And they were they had started the first week of rehearsal and I was jumping in the next week. So I, I didn't want to just abandon my job. So I put in my two weeks notice for it. So for a couple of weeks, I was I was rehearsing my Broadway debut during the day. And then I'd go in and clean up after the other show at night for a couple of weeks, which uh, <laughs> I have to say, no, it's like, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people. I've grilled a lot of people about their theater histories. I have never heard of anyone doing that. So I don't want to say you're the only person because I don't know. There might be someone um, else, but I don't know of anyone else that was cleaning a Broadway theater yeah. and then also rehearsing a Broadway <laughs> show. It was, it was a very <laughs> exciting time, but also, you know, I mean, talk about immersing yourself in something. <laughs> you know, I really, I moved to New York and, and I wanted to be an actor and I studied at a school that was associated with a Broadway theater and then I got to watch one as I worked there and then audition for them and now I'm rehearsing one and then cleaning up after one. It was, yeah, it was very cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll take that. I'm sure somebody else has done it before, but let's <laughs> say I'm the only one. Yeah, yeah. we'll find it. Great. We'll find someone else. Indeed. Um, rare, definitely rare. Yeah. Um, so- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what happened next? Like, what was the Corn Boy experience? Like? Corn Boy was great. It was... I, it was... An incredible experience. It ran for a little over a month, um, and so I started rehearsing in like February. We opened the beginning of May, and we're kind of closed by the end of May. And then I was back at at Spelling Bee. Yeah, and then I did that again for a while because it ran for a little bit longer <laughs> than that. Um, but Corum Boy was fantastic. It was at the Imperial Theater, um, and it was uh, originally it was a production by the National Theater over in London, um, and it was an incredible story where there was 40 people (laughs) there were 40 people in the cast and it wasn't a musical Mm -hmm. right so there were 20 people in the playing principal roles and a lot of them were playing many different roles and then there were 20 other people in an onstage choir Uh, and it had a lot to do with Handel's Messiah was was built in and out of the story Um, and so the people in the choir would sing parts of Handel's Messiah. So I was in the choir, but I was also one of five people in the choir who was hired to understudy three or four different tracks of the principal actors. So I was on stage every night in like this sort of loft over the stage watching the show. And at the same time, I was like singing my role. I was trying to learn the three other (laughs) tracks of the thing. And it was... It was so exciting and one of my favorite experiences, absolutely. It was also terrifying because I was right out of school and it was one of these things where I had to learn three different British accents for it, Mm -hmm. like three different regional British accents for these three different roles. And I never got to go on for any any of them, Uh, which, you know, I wish I could have, but at the same time, I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know what would (laughs) happen. 
don't know. It would have been great. Yeah, it just well, the whole show would have stopped. I would have been great. I would have been. It was awesome. such a cool show, and I Jan Maxwell and yeah. Zoe Duba and so many Bill great Camp. people. Yes, yeah. so Bill Camp was so great. Yeah. Um, not to like directly tie it back to Circle, but I remember because Uzo was in Godspell. Yeah. Um, and when the opening night tradition came around of like getting notes from the other shows, and we got Follies, and Jan Maxwell had written like a huge note to Uzo, and I was like, yeah, Corin Boy, and also just I was a big Jan Maxwell. Fan. Yes. Yeah. What an incredible. They were person. so great in that show. Yeah, they yeah. were. And they're also just the kindest people in the world. Yeah. I'll never forget Uzo. <laughs> when we got our closing notice, she like didn't know that we were closing and came out on stage five minutes after we got our closing <laughs> oh, notice. No. And she was like, what is the meeting for, guys? And we were all like, uh, we're done next week. <laughs> yeah, that's like a memory I remember very specifically because we were all like, oh, God, Uzo wasn't here for that. <laughs> oh, Somebody's going to have to break so, it to her. Yeah. People don't, Broadway is crazy. Yeah. Um, that actually, and I, again, did not even mean to directly tie it back in, but one of my craziest circle memories is um, I was a student at NYU walking by Circle in the Square to go see a show at Encores the day after Glory Days opened. And at the time, not knowing that yeah. it had closed. So I walked by in, and I knew, you know, like I was a theater nerd. I yeah, knew everything going on. I had seen Glory Days and previews and I didn't really know Nick Blamer at the time. And I walked by as they were all getting to the lobby and finding out that no. their show wasn't good. And I like saw, I saw that a little bit, um, which just actually is so crazy. Those are some of the craziest, <laughs> craziest moments is like, you know, you're just waiting, open-ended thing. And then it's like meeting on stage. 45 minutes before a curtain, and you just, that's that. I know. Yeah. Theater is nuts. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though. There are so many, like, musicals that I feel like are so important that played Circle. Um, yeah. And, you know, Glory Days being one of them, and obviously Spelling Bee being one of them. But I remember being so obsessed with that Rocky Horror Show yeah. cast recording. Yeah. Um, I never got to see it, but I did get to interview a few people about it. And actually, I'm going to read, um, you have a story to read later, but I'm going to read us some Raul Esparza about that Rocky Horror Show. Oh, that is awesome. Revival. Who did he play? Um, he was Riff Raff. Yes. Um, that cast recording is unbelievable. I have not heard it. Oh my God, you will, will. actually love it. Because I love that show yeah. and I've seen a lot of different productions of it's it, but so I've good. not heard that cast recording. Um, I was obsessed with it and interviewing Raul was cool because he's one of the people I've interviewed where like he knows everyone who's ever been in a Broadway dress room that he's been like he's like a super nerd nice um, but I think you'll get that from this good okay <laughs> the first Broadway show I ever saw was Broadway Bound at the Broadhurst and the first Broadway musical I ever saw was Into the Woods at the Martin Beck which is now the Hirschfeld I guess you know you're getting older when you call the theaters by their old names I sentimentally called Neil Simon the Alvin all the time just because that's what the characters call it in Merrily We Roll Along Aww. I know. It gets worse. <laughs> I'm from Miami, and during my senior year of high school, I had come to visit some friends at Columbia University where I'd applied. I wanted to see Les Mis, but it was sold out, so I ended up seeing Broadway Bound. I remember thinking how small the Broadhurst seemed after being used to giant touring houses in Florida. I also remember Elizabeth Franz, who was spellbinding. Jonathan Silverman was in that show, and later on we did an episode of Law & Order together, so I got to tell him, you were in the very first Broadway show I saw. You inspired me. When people say that to me now, I feel two things. I feel old, and I feel incredibly lucky to be part of that line. That's something you really feel in the theater, that strong sense of passing things down from generation to generation. You don't feel that with film and television work unless maybe you're on a legendary soundstage like the old Warner Brothers lot where you can say wow this is where they shot Casablanca the theater has a whole different sense of energy because wherever you go you know look at what used to be done here look what I'm a part of 
I've always felt a little like theater is a religious event. There's a sacred space between the actors and a sacred space between the audience and the actors. And what's sacred isn't the stage or the house, it's the space between people and the energy that lives there. The theater is a conversation. I can come up with a performance in my living room, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't bounce off other people. These theaters are the places where, for a century, conversations have happened. In theater, you're engaging with audience members who are right in front of you and you feel them. Whether it's a show like Rocky Horror, where they are responding vocally and physically, or a show where they're quietly listening, there's a human connection happening. And you can meet that person afterward at the stage door. You can see them walking down the block. Theater is unlike anything else for that reason. And Broadway is that. Plus, it's this incredible conglomeration of multiple spaces that house so much human energy every night. You know that within 10 or so blocks, so many people are having the same experience at the same time. The buildings seem to have a history of their own that the walls hang on to. I think each theater feels haunted in a good way by the shows that came before. During Rocky Horror Show, Jared Emick said to me, if you want to get psyched and remember why you're here, walk through Schubert Alley every day on your way to work. I did, and every day I would see those posters of which shows were happening simultaneously with ours. I'd see people going to every show on Broadway, audience members and theater folks. I was in some way part of that, even though I wasn't in all of the shows. Every night I would remember that I was part of a town where theater had been done for over a century, and that's a lot to live up to. And while there are walls dividing us, every night at 8.05, all the curtains go up, and all of these different stories are happening at once. Right now, where we are, I can see Phantom of the Opera and Bullets Over Broadway and Mamma Mia and Matilda, and tonight they'll all happen within a few feet of each other. There's an almost carnival atmosphere to it. The Rocky Horror Show was the first show I performed in on Broadway. The director, Christopher Ashley, said that part of the reason they hired me is because I sounded the most like Janis Joplin at the audition. <laughs> doing that voice eight times a week was insane. So while I was doing Rocky Horror Show, I really had to scream, sing, or not sing at all. There was no middle voice available to me. At first, I was scared of the show. I didn't understand the whole transvestite thing. I had seen Rocky Horror in Miami, and it frightened me. Then after I got into it, I completely fell in love with it. Now I've done many shows where I've had to cross-dress, and it doesn't faze me. I learned first from Rocky Horror that cross-dressing on stage is all about power, sexual power, and also the power you get from playing with audience expectations about gender. You don't know how that's going to play on Broadway, but the uglier and more exposed you are, the more power you have over the audience. It can make you feel incredibly strong on stage. Rocky Horror is such a fun, sweet show, but you do have that undercurrent of the dark side of power. The backstage of Circle in the Square doesn't really feel like a theater. There's an industrial, almost jail-like quality to it. Plus, you're underground, so there's no fresh air or light. It has a fortress-like quality, which can get to you, but there's a lot to love about it, too. It's such an intimate theater, like the ones I was used to performing in regionally. 700 seats feels manageable. The last row is only a few feet away. You can really connect to the audience. For Rocky Horror, it was perfect. I was also surprised by how malleable the theater is. Every time I've seen a show there since, the space has changed. Our designer, David Rockwell, went all out and put mannequin body parts and red fabric on the walls, creating this old movie theater atmosphere. Circle in the Square may not have the grandeur and beauty that some of the other Broadway houses have, but there are things about it that are great. It can be a very transformative, exciting black box. I'll never forget Rocky Horror's final dress. It was one of the most exciting performances I've ever been at. It was less than a week before my 30th birthday, and I was feeling pretty buzzy that I was about to make my Broadway debut, and I didn't know how it would go. Rehearsals were very different from any other show I'd worked on, and I was really nervous. The people in that cast are among the finest people I've ever worked with. Leah Delaria and I did Broadway on Broadway together before we'd even started rehearsals, so she heard me sing before anyone else did. When I performed Time Warp for the first time in rehearsal, the whole cast jumped up, and Leah was like, what did I tell you? Who is this guy? 
The whole cast was so supportive of it being my Broadway debut and going into that dress rehearsal, I just really wanted to show everyone what I could do. We hit the circle in the square stage for our final dress rehearsal and nobody knew what to expect. We had been directed to perform the show like it was a train that just would not stop at the station so the audience couldn't jump in. They had all brought their props like they were going to see the movie version and they were going to participate. There was toast flung and toilet paper thrown and all these things that were eventually banned because they were unsafe. The people at our dress rehearsal were total diehard fans. They were dressed up and they were going crazy for us. Jerry Mitchell gave me the best first entrance any actor could ever hope for. During Over at the Frankenstein Place, I rose up through the middle of the cast singing. Our musical director had created an obligato line that wasn't in the score for Riff Raff to hit a high B, and that was the moment when the whole set collapsed on itself. The proscenium smashed, the floor started to turn, the floodlights blinded the audience, the audience lost their minds. They started screaming like they were at a rock concert. I thought, holy shit, this is Broadway. Then I got to do Time Warp, and that blew off the place, blew the roof off the place even more. That dress rehearsal was the first time I performed on Broadway, and it was unforgettable. Wow. Oh, man. Wow. That, like, he really paints the picture. Because yeah. I, I just was obsessed with that recording. And, like, listening to that, I'm like, oh, I can picture that production. I've never, yeah. like, watched a video of it or anything. So many things about me hit me. That, about that just hit me in such a great way. First of all, that he made his Broadway debut when he was 30 makes me feel real good. I know. <laughs> it's, you forget about that, too. I mean, look, yeah. we were just talking about Bill Finn, who, you know, didn't make his Broadway debut as a writer until later, too. It's like, yeah. there, there are those stories by some of our favorite artists. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Also, I love that 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 you know, when that he feels such a sense of history that he goes up to people and are like, "You were part of my first experience on Broadway." I I do that to people all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who have you done that to? Um, I won't leave Bradley Dean alone <laughs> about it. Bradley Dean, who's this incredible uh, actor singer, who actually ended up giving me a few voice lessons. Uh, he's in um, Bad Out of Hell right now. I think it just closed like yesterday. Um, uh, but he was. I went to go see Man of La Mancha, the Brian Stokes Mitchell uh, one in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in college, I was at Loyola, and I was playing Don Quixote in my production <laughs> at Loyola. And so for Christmas, my mom got me tickets to go see it. So we went to go see it, and we got to the theater, and it was a matinee. And because um, Brian Stokes Mitchell's name was above the title, they had to come out before because he was, wasn't in that day. And they were like, hey, uh, if you want your money back, you can have it, or you can come see another show. And my mom and I were like, well, we got to see it you know, we can't come back into the city for this because I grew up in New Jersey and mm -hmm. I was going to go back to college soon. So like, great, we'll see it. And I saw like a mid to late 20s Bradley Dean play the role. And I was completely blown away by him because I was like 20. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this, this is incredible that this guy is doing this. And then fast forward to like the first reading I was ever cast in as a professional actor is a musical about John Dillinger. I got to rehearsal and he was playing John Dillinger. What? And I was in a cast with like six other people and I was just like, hey, hey man, I have to like, <laughs> I have to like tell you something. And I told him the whole story. He's like, oh, that, that's really great. I've like recalled that story to him about 15 times. <laughs> Cause I've gone on to do a bunch of different yeah. things with him. Um, yeah. And and so is my wife, Elise mm -hmm. was in a new brain with him. Like I know him quite well now, but I must have told him that story like <laughs> six times. And when somebody else doesn't know him, and they're in a You're cast with us. I'm like, you don't know what I know about this man right here. I think I embarrass him a lot. But but I, I have such a sense of that when I see somebody who, it almost was like a different life before mm -hmm. I moved to New York. Like one of the, I maybe saw seven or eight Broadway shows before I moved here, mm -hmm. which seems crazy now that there was so few, but that when I see somebody that was a part of that, I like need to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to the Untold Stories of Broadway podcast, part one with today's guest, Eric William Morris. Stay tuned for part two of more exciting stories about Circle in the Square. Thank you to our producer, Dory Berenstein, our editor, Alan Seals, my publishers of the Untold Stories of Broadway, Brisa Trincaro and Roberta Pereira, Zach Zadek for that theme music. And thank you to all of you for listening to the podcast. You can buy the Untold Stories in book version on Amazon.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.